0: What up, family? This is a sermon from the downtown congregation of Park Church. May it bless your soul as you dig deeper into God's Word.
1: More resources and info are online at parkchurch.org. The scripture reading can be found in Matthew 11, 1 through 19. After Jesus had finished instructing his 12 disciples, he went on from there to teach and preach in the towns of Galilee. Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. As John's disciples were leaving, Jesus began to speak to the crowd about John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed swayed by the wind? If not, what did you go out to see? A man dressed in fine clothes? No, those who wear fine clothes are in king's palaces. Then what did you go out to see? A prophet? I tell you and more than a prophet this is the one about whom it is written I will send my messenger prepare your way before you truly I tell you among those born of women there has not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist yet whoever is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he from the days of John the Baptist until now the kingdom of heaven has been subjected to violence and violent people have been raiding it. For all the prophets in the law prophesied until John. And if you are willing to accept it, here is the Elijah who was to come. He is the Elijah who was to come. Whoever has ears, let them hear. To what can I compare this generation? They are like children sitting in the marketplaces and calling out to others. We played the pipe for you and you did not dance. We sang a dirge, and you did not mourn. For John came neither eating nor drinking, and they say he has a demon. The son of man came eating and drinking, and they say here is a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners, but wisdom is proved right by her deeds.
0: Amen, amen. Well, good morning. morning. How are you all? Oh, come on now. What are we doing here? Good morning. How y'all doing? There you go. I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord um, and worship. Man, it is a, it is a joy and honor um, and privilege to gather with the saints today. So if you're in person, welcome. If you are online watching, um, welcome as well. Um, my name is Miguel Warren, and I'm one of the pastors here. Um, and what a gift it is to be be with you all here. Um, here's what we're going to do. We're going to dive in. We're going to talk about some doubts and unmet expectations and see what God's word has to say to us in regards to these subjects. Amen? Amen. So if, I, if you would please uh, pray for us, and I'm going to pray for us as well, and then we're going to sit at the feet of Jesus to hear what he has to say through his word and, uh, for, for today. So um, before we do, i like to calm our hearts. Um, I want to remind us that God is real. We're not throwing up prayers to the sky hoping they can be caught or acting as if, you know, they wishful thinking that we have a God that would hear. God is real. He desires to hear, especially from his children. Um, So let's calm our hearts and let's go before the throne of God. God, you are good and your mercy endures forever. You are faithful and you are just. How holy and acceptable is your name. Father, many people come into this room with a lot of life in their bag. Some bags are heavier than others. And but regardless of how heavy the bag is, how. or or what's in the bag. I pray that every last one of us receives the invitation that you extend, which is for us to come and find rest in you. So Father, I pray that you do what I cannot do. I pray that you would um, turn hearts over, that people would surrender their life to you. I pray that you are glorified and magnified. Father, I pray that they do not see me merely as one, as an entertainer, but one who's standing before you proclaiming, thus says the Lord. So as I hide behind the cross, Father, I pray that you are magnified. I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. And we all together, as one church said, Amen. amen. Expectations. We all got them, we've all had them, some of us got them right now. Expectations. Believers, non-believers alike, if you got breath in your body at some point in life, you have had expectations of something and they did not get met. I had expectations that my chiefs was going back to back Super Bowl champs. But man, I got really disappointed. This past February, my heart was was sad. (laughs) I was so disappointed. I was hurt. But when we have expectations, um, and, and I say that jokingly, but when we have expectations that are not met, something happens. We are sad. We're disappointed. We're frustrated. There's questions that we have for God, and really, it sometimes even calls doubts because you know God's word and you know what he can do and you've seen God do things, but yet when you experience something and have expectations and not met, you're, you're left with frustration and you name it. And particularly when you're like, hey God, what are you doing? And we come here today in this text and particularly in Matthew 11, and we're going to see how John the Baptist, as Jesus declared one of the greatest men to ever live, that was born amongst women, had doubt. Because expectations of Jesus wasn't quite what he thought. My purpose of preaching this today is real simple. When doubt rises, because it will, Jesus is the king we need instead of the king we want. When doubt rises, when expectations are not met, it is important to know Jesus is still the king we need. That's what we're going to see here and. And what we come to is that, just to give a little context and background, what you have is John the Baptist is in prison, okay? Jesus got through commissioning the 12, and Jesus is continuing his mission, um, his his ministry as well. Because it says in verse 1, he's went to go on and preach and teach after he sent the 12. John the Baptist is in prison because, one, he's a believer. In Matthew chapter 3, he's over here standing proclaiming who Christ is, how the anointed one has come. You can look at the gospel of John. You see in chapter 1, John the Baptist is also proclaiming in there who Jesus is and what he has done. But also in the midst of being a believer, John is also calling out King Herod's mess because King Herod Herod Antipas is wanting his brother-in-law's sister or his half-brother's sister. I mean, excuse me, his wife. And John is like, hey, it's not lawful for you to have her. So you mix in him calling him out and being a believer for the kingdom. You know what? He finds himself in prison. That's where we find ourselves today. And Jesus is going to respond to some questions that John has in prison. And what we're going to see is three observations through this text. The first one, we're going to see a faith with doubt. A faith with doubts. We'll see Jesus' response to the doubts. And the last one, the, Jesus is the King we need instead of the King we want. Let me say that again: the faith with doubt, a faith with doubts. Jesus respond to the doubts, and Jesus is the King we need instead of the Jesus we want instead of the King we want. So let's look at the first one: faith with doubts. Right, if you would draw your eyes to verse one. And he says, when Jesus had finished instructing the 12, his 12, he went on from there to teach and preach in their cities. Jesus is continuing his ministry. Now, when John, hear this now, when John heard in prison about the deeds of Christ, he sent word by his disciples and said to them, said to him, are you the one who is to come Or shall we look for another? Now, fascinating. Let's pause right here. What do we see? We see that John is in prison. He heard while in prison about what? Christ's deeds. What has been done? And it's not necessarily, it's it's, it's implicit here. It's, It's in here. It doesn't say it exactly that John had doubts. But notice the question that he's asking. Hey. Go ask Jesus, are you the one, or should we be expecting another? Why do you think John had doubts? Two things why John had doubts, his circumstances and Jesus' methodology. When you look at John's circumstances, he's in prison, which is not like the prisons we have today, and then Jesus' methodology is not quite adding up to what John knew of the anointed one. But before we move and go on and talk about John and his doubts, and, and, and this is true, but it's important for us to understand, some of you may not know who John the Baptist is, or you may need a refresher on who he is. Understand, John is a man that had faith now. I think this is important here. This is important again. He is a man who has faith. Let me just give you some synopsis, paraphrasing about how John is a man of faith. You can go back in Matthew chapter 3 and read this. You can find some of this also in in the gospel of John in chapter 1. Here's who John is. He's one who said, repent because the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He's the one that was calling out the Pharisees, you brutal vipers. You need to repent for what you're doing. He's the one that said, hey, Jesus is coming and he's mightier than me. He's the one to say, hey, I'm not even worthy to untie his sandals. You know, he's the one that actually baptized Jesus. And not only when he baptized Jesus, sat there and seen the heavens part and heard God's voice talk about how Jesus is his beloved son in whom he's well pleased here. We're talking about John the Baptist who leapt in his mother's womb when Mary and Elizabeth came together because that was a signifying knowing that, hey, what was in Mary was the one that was to come. There was a baby in there that was, that was far greater. We're talking about this John the Baptist. We're talking about one who was crying in the wilderness. Make way the straight, uh, excuse me, make straight the way of the Lord, the one that was in not. We're talking about John that said, hey, he's coming to separate the wheat from the chaff. We're talking about John the Baptist that was like, that said, hey, behold the Lamb of God. Who takes away the sins of the world. Why am I saying that? John was a man of faith now. But he has doubts. What's fascinating here, and here's what you got to understand how he has doubts. Understand that we'll get to this in verse 4 where, see, Jesus responds to uh, the, uh, John the Baptist's disciples. He says, hey, go, go tell John what you hear and see. And what Jesus reads in verses 4 and 5 really is a, 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 a paraphrasing of a collection of Old Testament sayings, uh, uh, and particularly under Old Testament covenant, from Isaiah. It's kind of paraphrasing Isaiah chapter 61, Isaiah 29, Isaiah 35. And that's where you get Jesus telling him, hey, go tell him. The lame, uh, the blind receive sight, the lame walk, leopards are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, poor have good news preached to them. But understand something John would have knew what Jesus was talking about, but John was a study of the, oh, he was a, 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 a prophet, was a study, a, a scholar of the Old Testament. John knew that there was a part that Jesus was leaving off that didn't quite add up. What, what was that? And particularly in John chapter six, excuse me, Isaiah 61, when it reads verses 1 and 2, it says, The Spirit of the Lord, God, is on me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted. And here's what was let off that what Jesus sent that was paraphrasing, what Jesus was trying to tell John the Baptist. And John knew this part was off here. I believe, based off of who John the Baptist was here. And it says at the end of Isaiah 61, verses 1 and 2, it says, and to proclaim freedom or proclaim liberty to the captives and freedom to the prisoners. So he's hearing that Jesus is doing these deeds now, but he's like, hey, something's quite not adding up yet. Again, it's his circumstances and it's Jesus' methodology here. Because you got to understand, John is like, hey, he was like stern. He was hard fist. He's like, hey, you need to repent right now because you know what? He's going to separate the wheat from the chaff. He's like the axe is laid at the root of the tree. See, he's expecting judgment. He's expecting it to happen right now. Just like John and all the other people of Israel and the other Jews, they wanted Jesus to revolt. They was like, "Hey, we got a—he's about to come and set this political and uh, a new regime coming, politically and military-wise. He about to flip it on his head because we are in bondage and we need to be set free." And hear me—he gets to that, but right now in Jesus' ministry, that's not where he's at yet. And so John's like, "Something's not up. I'm in prison. Where are you at? Why am I not free?" No, seriously, because he knows God's word, and he knows that there's something being left off here. Now, let me ask you this question. Has there been a circumstance in your life where you have doubted God? And maybe, just maybe some of us are in here today, currently right now, having doubts about him. Remember John's methodology? He's like, man, my circumstance is not good. And Jesus, the, what I know of the Messiah to come, I know he's the anointed one. But how, should we expect another? Are you really the, are you really the anointed one? Because his methodology isn't quite adding up yet. Let's just talk about this. Let's make this a little practical us. We live life and we all have unmet expectations. We've had expectations, but we been disappointed. Okay, Some of us has illnesses, whether we were born with or just diagnosed with that we have. And, and you're saying, hey, um, I've been praying, I've been trying to seek the Lord, and yet I'm not healed. I know you heal, but yet then you see someone else being healed when you're not. Or maybe you were one who was healed and others are not. It can go in reverse. Maybe you want to be in a marriage, but you're not quite married yet, like you thought. You're single, you're 20, 30, maybe 40, even 50, and quite haven't had the marriage that you thought you or, or be with someone as you thought you would. But yet you see other people being married and getting engaged, and that's not your story. Perhaps marriage is not going exactly how you thought. In fact, maybe your marriage ended in divorce or is on the brinks of divorce, and you wonder and say, hey, well, I see God redeem that marriage. Why not mine? Maybe there's some fertility issues that you've had. You've seen people, here you are struggling year after year, trying to get pregnant, don't have answers, unsure. Maybe do get pregnant and unfortunately, which is a tragic, lose the child, and yet here you are seeing other people who are now giving birth to their child after years of trying. Maybe their second child. You wonder, what? What? hey, what's going on, Lord? Maybe it's the career that you thought that you should have. You thought you would be at a certain spot in your job. You've been looked up for two or three promotions by now. Maybe you're not even in the field that you went to school with and your career's not quite adding up, but yet you see other people landing jobs and their careers are flourishing. Maybe it's relationships in life. It's not going what you'd quite expect. You said, man, I'm leaving everything at home. I'm moving to Denver because it's beautiful and it has a lot to offer, only to find yourself lonely because you realize the things of this city does not ultimately satisfy you i don't know the list goes on and it goes on and on but you have these expectations that did not get met and so you doubt because regardless if you find yourself in any of those categories i named or even as i did not list you're like but i've been praying i've been faithful I've been attending God. Hey, I, I know what your word says. It says you heal, you bring life to dead places. W- what about me now? Listen, I'm trying to help somebody because this is real now. Life is real. And you got all these doubts because you're not seeing God move in a way that you want to see him move. The Your circumstances isn't really favorable and... His methodology quite isn't adding up, even though you know he's able to do what his word says here. But let me say a few things about doubt. Doubt is normal, okay? Doubt is normal. We don't know what's coming tomorrow. We don't know. None of us do. So it's okay to have doubts. It's part of the faith journey. Because, again, you have certain expectations, and then you see it happening. You're like, well, this didn't happen like I thought it. Okay. All right. Okay. Doubt is normal. I think we need to see that. Why do we know? Because John is doubting. He got questions. He's like, oh, 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 go go, go ask him because something ain't quite right here. But understand, there's a difference between doubt and unbelief. There's a difference between doubt and unbelief. Doubt is a struggle to believe but searches for the truth, though. And notice what John does. He sends his disciples to Jesus. We don't talk about that. He has doubts, but he's processing in community. Then he sends his disciples to Jesus, the one who can provide truth and will provide truth. We just need to be faithful to be with him. And on this journey, as we doubt, doubt is struggle to believe, but searches for the truth. Unbelief, on the other hand, is stubbornness. It's refusing to believe. Just like what Jesus gets to at verses 16 and through 19, where he's like, there's nothing that's going to please this generation. They're just choosing to be stubborn. John does one way. He's of the, de- he's of the demons. He's the devil. I do one thing. I'm, I'm a glutton. I'm with taxes. Nothing's going to please him. Stubbornness, that is unbelief. It's choosing to refuse to believe the truth here. But another thing what happens is that when we live life and when we, what, we, what John shows for us, sometimes the doubt creeps in because these unmex, un, unmet expectations are happening. And sometimes what happens is that we are putting Jesus, we're putting God on the hook for things he never promised for us. Hear me now. What do I mean by that? Sometimes we put him on the hook for time. And again, the methodology, right? Time and the way and the level. See, John is in prison, by the way, if you scoot over to John, chapter, um, excuse me, Matthew chapter 14, he dies in prison. He is not set free. So now, that was a time, hey, John's like, I'm in prison. Is this the one? I need to be out. He's proclaiming liberty, setting captives free. What's up? I, I'm not liking this. Rightfully so. Rightfully so. You also see in Peter or excuse me, excuse me, Paul in Corinthians where he asked, he asking the Lord, he goes, hey, man, I got this thorn in my side, whatever the thorn may be, can you remove it? And actually, God says, nah, I can't. In fact, when you're weak, my power is made strong. Ta- because we get, we get caught, that's the thing, we, we, we say one prayer, we say two prayers, and we, we put him on a hook, and we're like, hey, you said you're going to deliver us, and he's like, yeah, I probably will, but I never said I was going to deliver you next week, or the following week, or a month, or a year from now, and again, we, we're putting expectations on him that he truly never promised, and that's what happens where we get frustrated, and the doubt set in, in the midst of all of that. But, man, we have a king that is so gracious. So we see we have faith with doubt. But now we see Jesus' response to the doubt. Look what he says. Look at verse 4. And Jesus answered them, Go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, and the dead hear, and the uh, the deaf hear, and the dead are raised up, and the poor have good news preached to them. Look what he says in verse six: "And blessed is the one who is not offended by me." What's fascinating here? is that what Jesus here even describes, he's given a synopsis of Old Testament passages that I've already mentioned in like Isaiah 61, 29, 35. But also what's fascinating in here is that what Jesus is speaking to actually already took place in John chapter 8, 9, and 10 leading up to there. You talk about the lepers that was claimed, people that were deaf, they're receiving sight. I mean, they're able to hear. So it's even, he's given a twofer here. You're seeing... Because remember, he's in prison. He said, I heard the deeds of what Christ has done. But, But notice here how he handles John's doubts. And this is the same thing he handles our doubts. He points John to the Word. He points John to the Word to remind him of what he is doing, which then reflects what Jesus' character is. And notice that what he's saying is that this is the time why I'm here. To heal, to restore, to take that which is broken, that physically and also spiritually and redeem it. The judgment is going to come. Don't worry. The judgment is going to come. We ain't gonna, we're ain't we not going to escape judgment here. We got God's word. We know how things end. We're all going to stand before the judgment of Christ. We're depending on a believer or non-believer. we all standing before the Father. So get ready for Why not stand before the Father knowing that there is a God and even with your doubt versus standing before one without doubts and not believing? Because that one doesn't lead in a, in, a, in a good way. And here's the thing. Judgment don't come. I remember one time I was a kid. <laughs> I was acting up. They called home. And I just knew I was about to get lit. I just knew it, I just knew it. And in my mind, I get home. I'm parents. They all acting great and everything's cool. And in my mind, I'm like, I am not about to get the beat down. I'm not. I'm like, I got away with it. Only to have like five hours later, Miguel. I'm like, yeah, what's up? Hey, hey mom. Yeah, you thought I forgot about that. Man, my heart sank. <laughs> I shit just sang. Because I knew that what I did, I thought I got away with it. But in that moment, <laughs> what my mom was demonstrating was like, it ain't time for you to get the wrath from me yet. Because <laughs> I had to go do some other stuff. But now it's time for Judgment. <laughs> What am I saying? It's the same way. Jesus is like, I, I'm healing folks. I'm doing the ministry. It's pointing to who I am. But, but do no, I'm judging folks. That time is coming. Nobody's going to get away with that here. Methodology, right? We want it now, when we want it, the way we want it. But we see Jesus respond with the word and points to the character of God. And that's what we have to do as well. See, John wouldn't have knew exactly what Jesus was talking about. That's why he gives him the, the synopsis of the Old Testament passages when he sends his disciples away. But also notice here how he responds, which is magnificent. He says in verse 6, blessed is the one who is not offended by me. What do we mean by that? Let's unpack this. This word blessed really is, comes from this word makurios, which is like a happy who's well off, who has peace. Then the word offense really is broken down as one of skandalizo, which is where we get our word scandalous from, which means it's. One who takes offense or fallaways or stumbles or leads into scandal, which is to cause into sin. To paraphrase verse 6 in a different way, what he's saying is blessed or how blessed is the one who is well off and at peace, who doubts but does not fall away, who doesn't stumble, who doesn't lead into sin, who doesn't uh, uh, fall away. Because I'm a different type of Messiah and don't meet your expectations. That's what he's saying. Hey, blessed. Hey, you are blessed. Guess what? Yep, you're at peace. Even those who doubt. Get this. Not who doesn't. He's embracing that. Those who doubt, but don't fall away. You don't run away from me. You don't fall into sin because of me, because I'm not meeting your expectations as the Messiah you want me to be. He's saying blessed is that. So what we see here is that he responds with the word and he, said, he gives this blessing not only to John but also even to us. He said blesses the one who has doubts but don't fall away who ain't going to leave the faith because I'm not meeting your expectations how you won't. Because contrary to what belief, people leave the faith because God ain't moving the way they want him to move. But what we see is that he also bestows a beautiful honor on him. That lets us know that he can handle our doubts. He can handle the questions that we have. He didn't rebuke John for his doubts. He didn't rebuke him because, look, he knew that John, he knew what time it was. He knew what word exactly to send John. He said, hey, go back and tell him this. We're talking about an all-knowing God here. God in the flesh. Jesus, he knew what was up, but he didn't rebuke him. He didn't say, how dare you? I can't believe you got questions about me. I can't believe you're doubting me. Instead, he embraces his welcomes, And he responds by, he says this in verses 7, really verses 7 through uh, 15. He kind of gives this synopsis of John and and talks about this passing of the church. But look where he bestows honor. And he says, and when he went away, he goes on and begins speaking to the crowd. And then he says concerning John. So he says now, now he's talking to us. He's talking to the crowd, right? And he's like, what did you go in there to see? You didn't go in there and see. What did what, you go and see? A reed shaking by the wind? He goes, no. What did you go in there to see? A man dressed in clothing? No. Those are kings and priests that you see that's dressing like that. What would you go out to see? He goes, what? A prophet. Yes, a prophet. I tell you, more than a prophet. And then he goes on and, and talks about Malachi chapter 3 where it, it talks about how, behold, I send my messenger before you in, in, in your face. And... Uh, before your face and who will prepare a way before you here. But here's where he bestows a great honor to him. He says, and truly I say to you, among those born of women, there has risen, excuse me, there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. Whoa! John just sent doubts. He needs answers. He understands John's plight. He understands where he's at. But yet Jesus doesn't rebuke him. He actually bestows honor on him and said, hey, man, this is the greatest man that ever came from a a, a woman, a human birth. But then not only does he bestow honor on John, but get this, he bestows honor on us. Where do you see that at? He says in verse 11, yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. Wait a minute. You just said there's no one greater than John the Baptist, yet, but Jesus said, now the one who is least is greater than he. What is Jesus getting at? Here's what this is, really to summarize or to paraphrase what's really taking place. Because he talks about how Jesus is, how John the Baptist comes as an Elijah. And, 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 he's one, and really what he's getting at is saying that John the Baptist is representative of the Old Testament uh, covenant. He is the prophet that is represented. This is what's led to believe in the studies here. Walk with me. A little bit teach teacher moment. John the Baptist is what is considered representative of the end of the Old Testament covenant of the prophets there. And and now what you're seeing is that there is an exchange of what they would say of the baton happening. Now you see John representing that of the old covenant. Now Jesus, his methodology, his new way is now representing of the new covenant, which he is going to now eventually go to the cross and die the death um, that is to come. And so there's this exchange here that is taking place. And what Jesus is saying is that, man, this guy is the greatest thereof there is. He comes like Elijah in spirit and power, proclaiming the way of the Lord, proclaiming my way. But then he goes, hey, there's no one greater than he. But then he says, great. He says, but the least in the kingdom will be greater than he, because now that we have the new covenant In Christ Jesus, you're great, not because of you, not because of your account, not because of your looks. Although you may look good and you look beautiful, uh, it's great. But the Bible says on your best day, you're like filthy rags here. Can we be real? Because we think we got stuff and sometimes that's okay. But here's the thing. We're great because of Christ, not because of us. Because he says the least in the kingdom will be greater than he. Why is that? Because we have a unique access and a unique blessing that we were able to experience that those of old were not, we have a once in a, 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 a once in a, uh, once for all forgiveness that took place. Now, what Christ did on the cross, dying for our sins, the past, present, and future, we see that, but we also have immediate access to God, where it talks about how we can approach the grace of throne boldly, not because of us but because christ's blood is dripped over us they couldn't do that under the old covenant. They had have to get all kind of clean rituals and get ready to go in there, tie a rope to the ankle, because if they do it wrong, they're going to get blinded by his presence, and they he's going to be dead. So they got to pull him out. But we get to approach the throne of grace boldly because of Christ. And then we get the impermanent dwelling, get this, the impermanent dwelling of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit has always been active in the Old Testament and New Testament under the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. But we know in the book of Acts, where um, happened in chapter two, where the indwelling, the permanent indwelling of the believers received the Holy Spirit so that they can go out in power here. So what Jesus is saying is that, hey, those in the kingdom that are least will be greater than John. Why? Because of me. So if you're a sinner, if you're a tax collector, if you're an adulterer, if you're a drunkard, if you have doubts, if you all the insecurities that's the hidden places in your heart that nobody else knows but God knows, he says, guess what? I love you because of who you are and because you believe in me and what I have done on the cross on your behalf. Therefore, you are great because of me. So if you have doubts today and you have uncertainties, because you're like, man, my circumstances isn't favorable. I, man, I'm struggling with this. His methodology isn't adding up. Understand, you are blessed because you have doubts. You're not falling away. Hey, and guess what? You're great in the kingdom because of Christ. Which I need to say this here. Your identity and your circumstances. Oh, my Lord, I pray this helps somebody. Is not wrapped up in your circumstance. It's hard to believe that when you're in it. I'm, hear me now. I'm trying to help somebody because I'm trying to help myself. I'm, I really am. When we in these situations and it doesn't quite add up and you're struggling to believe and you have your doubts and then you start to think that this is my identity and there's something wrong with me and maybe it's because of who I am and maybe there are some things that we got to repent from that we in. Now, I'm not trying to knock that. Not, uh, hear me now. But at the core of it, we start to think that that's our identity. And we start to live in that way. And we start to believe in that way. And that's the furthest thing from the truth. Man, he sits over here and says, blessed is someone who does this. And great are you, the least of those. In the kingdom of heaven, you're greater than he because of what Christ has done. Mind you, he's flipping the kingdom upside down, family. He's taking this kingdom and flipping it upside down. They're wanting justice. The people of Israel, they're like, hey, we got the Messiah. He's coming. What's up? This revolt, this new regime, let's go. We're getting free. There's about to be a party up in here. And he's like, yeah, I'm going to get there, but let me come speak to these hearts. Let me heal the lame. Let me heal the broken. Those who are broken in spirit, the, the, those who are poor, not physically, sure, but also spiritually broken. He's flipping it upside down because the methodology ain't adding up for John and some of the other believers there. And the same is for us here. Okay. So we saw how there's faith with doubts. We see Jesus' response with our, to our doubts. And now we end with this movement where he's the king that we need instead of the king that we want. How do you know that? What happens in verses 12 and what happens when you look at verses 16 and through 17? To give a synopsis paraphrasing simply as this, is what he says is that in verse 12, he's pretty much saying, hey, the king, God, as God's kingdom advanced, the opposition to it would increase. People are always trying to kill the kingdom movement. They're always trying to kill the kingdom movement. And really what he gets at in verses 16 and 17, and he says is pretty much there's no pleasing people. They're rejecting the gospel. Because John and Jesus are not formatted to their expectations and not doing what they want. They're like, we want a specific type of king. For the believers, they wanted one who was coming with power, and he did come with power, not like what they thought. They wanted him to flip it on his head, get us free from this mess. Hey, go up there and march down to the capital and tell them what time it is, Messiah. And he didn't do that immediately. And for the non-believers and for the people that were bleeding, it's like, man, John, he demon, he, he whatever, he weird, he wearing goat skin and eating honey. And, and then Jesus comes sitting with sinners and tax they're like, man, he a glutton and a drunkard. Man, what, what, what? you know, there's no pleasing anyone. That's why he says this generation, he talks about the generation. Essentially, there's no pleasing. There, you don't fit here. Why? Because he's the king that we need versus what we want. That's why. Let me ask you this question. Why does God exist? Why does God exist for you when you think about it? Why does he exist? When you think about Jesus, is it to be the king that you want? Oh, okay. All right. Does he exist so that the American dream can continue to happen for you? Is that why he exists? Does he exist so he can push your agenda, whatever your personal agenda may be? Does he exist because you want him to be the genie in the bottle, and you're like, okay, now we we'll would like to see this happen. Why does he exist for you? Is it because he's existed because he you want him to be the king that you want, what you want? And the list could go on and on. Why? And the same thing couples with this is how do you approach Jesus with your doubts? Believer, non-believer alike, how do you approach What's your doubt? Is it through a critical, cynical faith? Man, look at this. this, this look at the Christianity that they have. Man, that's weak. That's, that, no. This is the God that you have. You guys have peace and love. and. Wh- wh- why is that? You're cynical because it didn't happen the way that you want it to happen? Because it's not the social justice and movement that you needed to be done? You're like, well, is, is that what it is? So therefore you become cynical? You have faith. You become critical. Hear me now. This is real. Because you pick and choose what the Bible is. You pick and choose your favorite verses. Or you, if you're a non-believer, you sit and look at certain verses. You go, yeah, I like that. That doesn't be good. So now you don't get the full counsel of God. You just get the ones that you like. And so now you've curated the king that you want versus the king that you need. What, what is that? And so you take your doubts and get this. Ain't nothing wrong with doubting, as I mentioned. But oftentimes, some of us doubt because it's not what we like what God is doing. That ain't always the case for some, but that's another reason why we have doubt. I ain't liking this. Or do you take and approach your doubts with one as a desperate person in need of a Savior? One who who's approaching the doubts with faith and trying to seek genuine understanding see notice john as i mentioned earlier he processes his doubts in community he sends his disciples the ones that are in his life that he's, that's walking with him and he's like hey go to him and ask him this question do not process your doubts by yourself that is a trap and the enemy is waiting for that Do you process it in community, or do you do it on your own? Do you run to Google? Do you run to YouTube? No, I'm being serious now. Because what happens, that's what the enemy wants, and you run to the social media platform. Now you got the algorithms that now you're processing all these doubts by yourself, and you, you might be following somebody who's a hot mess. Let's just be real. And now, all of a sudden, you walk away from the faith. You know, the deconstruction thing has happened. It's really prevalent in our time. And it's okay to get rid of some things, but because you're doing it by yourself, not in community, not with a pastor, not truly to seek understand, but you just, you know what, I got some things. Let me just walk this journey in my that, detri- that, de- that is not healthy for any of us. I don't know about you, but when I start to get in my head by myself, I can curate outcomes. I can curate things that really aren't reality. Okay, I, I'm just trying to be real with us here. I'm just saying. Process your doubts in community. It's okay. Take them to the Lord because when you take them to the Lord, he's the one that's able to guide you in truth because he's the king that we need and he knows it. So pray from a place of victory and longing because Jesus has already won. So take those things and as you do it, be vulnerable before God. Really doubt your doubts. God, help me here. I don't. I'm understanding. I don't know. I can't make sense of this. Doubt your doubts, but doubt it to the one who is able to guide you in truth here. Because when you do that, when you take the doubts that you have, because they will come, and when the methodology is isn't adding up because of your unfavorable situations and these doubts and the unmet expectations happens, go to the one that will give you the truth because he is the way, the truth, and the life. Hear me, and I mean this, don't take your doubts to social media. Don't take your doubts to Capitol Hill. Republican, Democrat ain't going to help you with your doubts, family. Don't take your doubts to the vaccinated, unvaccinated. Hear me, I'm just saying those are hot topic buttons for our culture. I'm not minimizing them. I'm not saying that you shouldn't uh, swim in those waters, but don't make them the king that you want, because when you do, you will be set up for failure, family. But yet we have a king that gives us what we need. Why do we say that here? Because in Isaiah 55, he says, in verse eight, "My thoughts are your th- My thoughts are not your thoughts. <laughs> Neither are my ways declare, Your ways declare the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. He is the king that we need, because His ways is better than our ways as it says. It's higher above. He can see things that you and I can't see. That's why this is a faith journey. He's the king that we need because, as I said, he is the way, the truth, and the life. There is no other way outside of him. He's the king that we need because... Instead of giving us what we want, he gives us what we need. He's the king that we need because he says, come, get rest from me. Those who are tired, those who have been laboring, I'm going to give you rest for your soul. I'm going to give you peace. Not as the world gives you peace, but I'm going to give you a better peace. He's the king that we need because he's gracious and merciful and compassionate and he's kind here. Notice fascinating here that when we want justice, when we want revolt, when we want God from that, we don't really want the gracious and and compassionate God but when we're in a position where we need the grace the mercy the compassion we like hold on don't give me the judgment yet let me just give you peace Can can I get the peace of God from you please no, I'm just being real because he's the king that we need. He's the king that we need because he rose from the dead, family. He's the king that we need because he went to the cross and did what you and I wouldn't even sniff a look at to go do. And even if we did, it would have took an eternity to go do it. It would have took eternity to fill all the sins that we did. But what he accomplished in six hours, praise God, because he gave us and became the king that we needed versus the king that we want. Understand, he's the king that we need because one day we're going to stand before him and he's going to say, well done my good and faithful servant not because you're perfect not because you had it all together but because you took your mess your bag of junk your doubts and he's going to say hey well done my good and faithful servant come and you can find that is because he's the king that we need versus the king that we want and family of God let us be a church who takes the doubts the the unfavorable situations and say hey God I'm struggling help me Let's go to the one who can give us answers, because I assure you this, when the doubts come, because they're going to come, we will be able to find truth, because he is truth. That's why we need one another. Let us not be foolish to think that we don't need people. Let me just stop. I'm going to get on my... Let me me stop. He's the king that we mow. Let us, let us, family, hear me, be a church be the kind of people that when we step foot in this building or when we step foot outside this building and wherever your feet goes as you live for the kingdom of God, take them to him. Take the doubts to him. Reach out to a brother or sister in the faith. Be honest with them. Life is real. I'm just trying to be real with this. I, I, we gonna, listen, we, gonna, we get enough theological stuff here, I'm not doubting that stuff. Man, people are walking away from the faith and this is real. And we don't know the time of the hour when Christ is going to come. And we don't know when Christ is going to call us home. So let us take all of that and find rest in him. Because he can doubt our doubts. He can embrace them. He points us to the word. You're blessed even though you're doubting. Because you're pressing into him. And you have a great honor bestowed on you because of what Christ has done. Let us pray. God, we thank you for who you are. We thank you that you love us and that you're not afraid of the questions that we have. Help us here today, God. Help us to be reminded that when our situation is not favorable, when expectations are not met, when your methodology are not lining up because we've been faithful and pressing in and been a good Son and daughter of you, help us to know that we can still come with you with our doubts. To know that we're not left stranded to try to figure out on our own. But by your grace, have given us a word, the 66 letters that speak and point to you. So right now, move, Holy Spirit, in a way that you know how. In your son, Jesus' name, amen.